And this is Tony. And this is What Did We Miss? The podcast where we explore our pop culture blind spots one episode at a time. Tony? Yes? Were you ever keyed into the whole uh, must-see Thursday comedy lineup on NBC? Um, at any point in time? For, uh, for the whole block? The heyday of it, at least the... Because obviously, like, within the past decade plus... People have been watching things via streaming sure. more than watching things live. So obviously the 90s was the biggest moment for must-see TV with Friends and Seinfeld and another show <laughs> that I can't think of right now. But was, was there any point in time where you were like, yeah, I have to watch every Thursday night? Uh, for the whole like two-hour block of sitcoms? Yeah. or. I don't know if I ever did like start to finish. I know Frasier was Frasier was definitely a big one. I think Frasier and Friends and Seinfeld kind of like overlapped. Certainly Frasier and Friends. Um, Frasier was one. I don't know. It must have been part of the the lineup. But Third Rock from the Sun was it? Let me check. <laughs> lineup history. Okay. Was was that a different chant? Was that a different? No, that was an NBC was an M- show. Um, but it wasn't part of Must See, Must See Thursdays. Yeah. So let's see what's on here. Uh, Mad about you, Wing, Seinfeld, oh, yeah. Frasier. Um, Cheers. Was Cheers ever part of that? Yeah. Uh, it became at the tail end. Yeah. I mean, looking at the '80s, you've got you know Cosby Show, Family Ties, Cheers, Night Court. What the hell is the Duck Factory? That was on for a spring season. The Duck Factory? So Wings, that was definitely a show that my family and I watched. Uh, Mad About You uh, was definitely, I remember that being on. I don't remember paying much attention because I was still kind of young. We weren't a Seinfeld household. That was something I sort of came to later in syndication. My folks, I don't know know if they even have an opinion about it. it was just not on. I remember watching Caroline in the City. Oh, yeah. Um, suddenly Susan Just Shoot Me. Will and Grace. Yeah, we came and went. Uh, uh, whatever night, like, News Radio and Third Rock from the Sun were on, we're definitely more... Oh, uh, I love News Radio. Yeah. More my speed. Don't forget that. The big mid aughts to 2010 or so or 12 was the office community parks and rec which was pretty big 30 rock our generation you know yeah 30 rock i I think that's the only time i've ever watched when those four were airing at the same time i think that was the only time that i would watch the whole block yeah definitely i just wasn't I, i yeah i guess i never was like, okay, I got to strap in for the whole thing. Didn't watch My Name is Earl. No, neither did I. I still got the Wikipedia page up. Um, didn't watch The Office till later. Came to Parks and Rec late. 30 Rock I came to late. So yeah, like you were saying, I watched those all on streaming. I think that's what happens for most people now too. It's hard for a show that's airing on any of the broadcast networks to stick out enough now when there's new shows every weekend on one of the streaming services. So how does a show stick out? Uh, most people aren't watching or every, uh, every Thursday anymore. What do you do? You get a bit of brand loyalty 
right? You get, I mean, you get the sort of residual nostalgia for must-see TV because, like, now they have it going again. Um, and they've, you know, they brought back Will and Grace. NBC picked up Brooklyn Nine-Nine after that got canceled from Fox. But, you know, that came with an audience already plus um, Mike Schur, who had who was just coming off of The Good Place, rapping most recently, and then Parks and Rec in The Office. Yeah, uh, AP Bio, I mean, that, and that's... Wait, is AP Bio is not on anymore? That got canceled. That's on something else now. <laughs> but that, and boom, canceled. Right, but you know, that... Uh, you know, that had Patton Oswalt and it had uh, Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny. So, yeah, it seems like they were trying to rebuild must-see TV for a, a modern era. Um, you know, certainly I watched The Good Place, Parks and Rec. I, I, we'd watch them on Hulu the next day or whenever. Yeah, me too. I think that's what, like, when I jettison cable and my antenna no longer started picking up the channels um, because I think... Now you need kind of like a digital antenna to get the high def channels. And it just seemed like, well, I'll just wait and I won't have to watch it with commercials. So at a certain point, I just transitioned to completely to watching them the next day um, on Hulu or, or whatnot. Um, but a lot of those shows I did watch week to week. I mean, it's funny that you talk about commercials because even, you know, the way they build in the ad breaks feels different. So my Sandra and I are watching New Girl from the beginning on Netflix, which uh, I think those first couple of seasons are like 2012 ish. And, uh, man, it really feels abrupt when, when the commercial break hits in a way that even watching newer shows on Netflix, you know, that are coming off of a, a broadcast network, they, they aren't quite made the same way anymore. It, it is really odd to be like, Oh, what's the, Oh yeah. It's a, used to be, a minute and a half of like cars and, and medicine and <laughs> a movie I didn't end up seeing. Did you ever watch Mad Men live? Because um, at a certain point as the series progressed, Matthew Weiner was just like, fuck it, I don't care about commercial breaks. So he really didn't design the show for commercial breaks. And, you know, the people at, that was AMC, I believe. Yep would have to kind of shoehorn in, figure out a way to put in commercial breaks and they'd be in the weirdest, most arbitrary spots. Yeah, I didn't watch And when watch you watch it live. now, when you watch Mad Men streaming, it feels seamless. It doesn't feel like there's any commercials in any of it. Did Breaking Bad end up doing something similar? Because that was, I remember that being, I remember making a point to catch that when it premiered because the, the idea of Hal, the dad from Malcolm in, in the Middle, you know, playing that kind of character is really interesting. But I also remember that being sort of one of the earliest instances of like binging TV, you know, because yeah. streaming Netflix was still f in its infancy around the time that uh, Breaking Bad was, you know, the seasons were coming out on DVD and then watching it on Netflix was kind of how a lot of people discovered it a couple of years in. Definitely. So I wonder if they adapted as well or, or if the commercial breaks feel as uh of their time as as uh as you'd expect them to breaking bad is so smart and savvy with how it structures things so i wouldn't be surprised if they were just very good at it you know mm -hmm. unlike some other shows you know mad men was just like uh, even with their um next week on mad men it was just like hello 
and then someone opening a door and you know like it was just totally uh they would give away nothing just absolutely nothing you had no idea they they were almost like these little comic abstract pieces that's how strange they were yeah um and i think like things just started changing and developing i think at that point where now most and we've talked about this a lot on the show how a lot of streaming shows really feel like they could use act breaks and a little bit more structure because they feel like oh okay here's an endpoint and then we know you're going to watch the next episode um and 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 that's been a bit of a problem in the streaming era i wish i could remember what show it was but we were watching something and a new season was going to start and i was we were both expecting the the like the last season on whatever recap at the beginning and it ended up being <laughs> like like a really uh poorly articulated like it wasn't a previously on it was an uh, coming up next on this show and it was like it was like scenes from the season we haven't started watching yet so we were very confused and then for the next you know the first three or four episodes like those the context around those snippets would come up and there were some things in there that like i was like why would they show this to us this is really man i can't was it what we're going to talk about today I don't, it could be. I don't know. Maybe. I can't remember. Um, it's funny you say that because like that's like Meg watches The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and that's how that show is designed. It's intentional. So oftentimes it will constantly be setting up things that are going to happen in future episodes that they're saying like coming up on The Bachelor later in the season on The Bachelor. But the irritating thing about those shows is it's always out of context. So when you get to that actual moment that they've been building towards, it's just like, oh, that's not nearly as dramatic as they've been playing it up to me. And it's one of the most frustrating storytelling devices I think uh, I've ever seen on TV. It's just so irritating because it's just like, I think if you played it straight, it would be a much more compelling show. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Well, we're talking about Superstore. Yeah. Um, which is another show that was part of this must-see TV block. Um, most recently finishing up in 2021 just this year um it premiered in 2015 it is created by justin spitzer uh he was a longtime writer on the office uh he i believe he started around season three so he was with the show for a long time um and you know i read some interviews with him and and they're like well what's your inspiration for superstore and he's just like i really just like you know, workplace comedies. I like these kind of situation comedies where you have these people from disparate backgrounds um, and identities and they're kind of the surrogate family. And it's easy to kind of ping pong ideas off of each other. And, you know, it just seemed kind of natural. Where can I set one of these after the office? And he's like, well, no one's done anything that's set in like a place like Walmart or Target. Uh, so that's basically the show, you know? Yeah. It's easy to pitch the show to people like, well, what is Superstore about? It's about a Superstore. It's yeah. about a Target. It's about a Walmart. Uh, it's a fictional place called Cloud Nine. Yeah, so why are we talking about it? I think because it's a show that a lot of people have slept on. Although I was checking and it seems like the ratings were pretty decent. I think obviously we've comparatively you know, to other shows in the past, like ratings right now are a bit um, amorphous as in, you know, what do ratings really mean anymore? Uh, because the numbers aren't what they used to be. 
everyone's watching things streaming. But I do think it's not a show you hear a lot of people talk about. Um, and I kind of happened upon it by, uh, by I guess by chance a little bit. Um, Meg went away on a, a business trip and on the flight home, she watched a few episodes. She said, I, I think this is pretty smart and I think you would like it. At the time, I believe, this is like a couple years ago. There's six seasons of the show, so I think that's maybe around season four. Um, and I think people were starting to talk about it. I think critics were starting to come around on it. And so I, I was like, yeah, I, I, I'll give it a try. So we started watching it together and we really just breezed through it, caught up on it pretty quickly. Um, and as it was ending, again, like not a lot of people were talking about it. It's not like a show that was covered week to week on a lot of websites like the AV Club, mm-hmm. um, which was kind of surprising. But it did have some pretty big supporters. Um, I know Emily Vanderwerf, his critic, is really into it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so uh, I was really surprised and charmed by it. And so I would kind of proselytize about it uh, to anyone. And I think you were wrapping up some other show. Probably Shit's Creek. <laughs> it could be Shit's Creek. And I was like, if you're looking for something similar, that kind of comfort watch, which we've talked about, um, we talked about to death on Shit's Creek. I think Superstore uh, is a good show for that. You started watching it and we were just like, hey, we should just talk about this on the podcast. Yeah, I was kind of dismissive of it uh, initially. So for a, for maybe the third season of A Good Place, we did make a point to tune in as it was airing. And I don't remember if, I think this Superstore was the lead in to that. So we'd always kind of like turn the TV on and we'd catch the ending of an episode or maybe catch um, a commercial for it. If you know, maybe if I'm getting my uh, schedule wrong here uh, and kind of like we were talking about earlier with those kind of like flash forward recaps for what you're about to see, you know, it's there, you know, I think the show is maybe far enough along where a lot of the humor was coming off of, you know, having a foundation of the character's personalities. So it's just like, oh, I, I don't get it. I'm not clicking with any of this. I don't know or care about any of these people. And yeah, and we just kind of wrote it off, which is odd because um, one of the stars of the show is um, Mark McKinney. And I, I loved Kids in the Hall. That should have been more than enough. <laughs> you know, unless it's like Dave Foley doing celebrity poker, like the presence of any one of the kids is usually enough for me to be like, oh, I should check this thing out. So, uh, but, but, but yeah, like you said, we were looking for that sort of, um, kind of light, fun comfort watch for the two of us to enjoy. And, uh, yeah, we, we, we dove into this head first and, and enjoyed it quite a bit. I, I think I was pretty dismissive of it at first too, because, superficially it does look just like the office especially in the early goings and it felt like oh well they're just taking the office and putting it in a walmart you know uh and 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 i don't need that necessarily um but again like uh, after meg had watched it and she, she was like i think there's a there's something here that feels a little unique and i know meg got burnt out on the office uh probably halfway through uh so for her to be kind of not instantly like, like cringing at it. <laughs> Cause mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think Michael Scott kind of puts her off. Um, 
uh, to me, that was kind of like a ringing endorsement. So, uh, and it was fun to watch together. I was surprised as the show progresses um, how smart it was about not only this workplace dynamics, but also about um, a lot of social issues uh, and big important social issues it, it tackles. Um, immigration and workers' compensation and um, unions and but in in really smart ways where it's not this um, uh, didactic lecturing kind of progressive political spiel. It really kind of finds a way to approach it from a bunch of different angles um, and 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 do it in ways that feel organic to the characters in the story. And I didn't really anticipate that happening. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, um, it rarely feels like it's doing a very special episode kind of thing. And, uh, there's a piece that, uh, Scott Tobias, a, a former AV club writer, uh, wrote for the New York times as this show is ending. And he talks to the creator and, you know, the, the idea was never to make an issues show, but by virtue of throwing, a diverse group of people into a workplace setting and having it take place in contemporary America. I mean, these things are just going to come up and there's a character who's undocumented and you know, that initial reveal is like, it's, it's news to him too. You know, he, he was brought up protected from the truth about his background. Um, you know, cause his family didn't want him to get into trouble. Um, there's, uh, you know, you mentioned stuff about unions. Um, maternity leave f- uh, frequently comes up over the course mm-hmm. of the show because, of course, it does. You know, these are the types of people who work at a place like a Cloud Nine or like a Target. These are like real things for them to contend with. And and like you said, it never really forced its progressive worldview down your throat i mean i guess if you if you're like rah rah pro ice you might say (laughs) otherwise but um i you know at one point i was watching and i wish i'd thought to look it up but i was we were watching an episode and i texted you and this was right around the time that like fox news was trying to do like their conservative roasting the news show yeah and yeah. I and I said like this, this show proves that progressives will always be better at making fun of progressives than conservatives. Yeah. I, well, so let's get into the characters because I think that's one thing it does really well. And um, the two main, I, I guess there are two main characters. Um, one played by America Ferrera, and that's Amy, um, and the other is uh, Ben Feldman, and he plays Jonah. Um, and Jonah is this kind of stereotypical, progressive, woke, for lack of a better terms, white guy who has a, a, a college education dropped out and is sort of aimless mm-hmm. and gets a job in, at Cloud9 uh, in the pilot and um, kind of instantly falls for Amy. Uh, or is at least smitten with her right from the get-go. Uh, but the show does a great job of kind of of making him, of dismantling his, his not his worldview, but his approach, I would say. 
he's very gung-ho and always willing to or, or always trying to insert his ideas in his politics and he has the best of intentions but that he always trips over himself in yeah. the process yeah he, he his personality gets in the way of his good intentions the joke is never yes. like this thing Jonah believes. The joke is Jonah's just too Jonah to <laughs> to actually be too helpful. Even when he's right, people roll his their eyes at him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the pilot, he approaches Amy and kind of condescends to her right away uh, without in- doing it intentionally and then turns around and says like, oh yeah, we shouldn't judge other people. Um and so right off the bat, we kind of get an idea of who he is. And Amy, uh, again, who's played by America Ferrera, um, uh, she was had a lot of ambitions and she got pregnant when she was a teenager, um, had the, her child and married pretty young. And then so she's kind of trapped in this job. And we learn about her and the pilot that she's been there for quite a few years. And it seems as if she's trapped. She's not outwardly frustrated she seems to be trying to make the best of it like you know i have this job i think i think the things she's more trapped by end up being uh her marriage you know she you learn quickly that the dynamic with her and her husband or that she is the one who's really doing the the lion's share of providing and and she's sort of indulging his not not like get rich quick schemes but like he's you know he's also just a directionless white dude who doesn't really have any ambition and and you know whatever ambition amy has has sort of been backburnered whether it's not whether it's you know um because she had a kid when she was young or because she has a husband who hasn't quite figured out what he wants to be doing yet um she's always going above and beyond to you know keep other people happy at the sake of her own happiness and in 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 the show also points out frequently that she's she is very good at her job. She's like the floor supervisor uh, when the show starts off. What what's funny with Jonah is he's not always very good at <laughs> at his job either. Uh, and and but he he likes to think he is. He does goes above and beyond to do certain things. When you find out that he did it incorrectly, one of the interesting things about the show that was unexpected, and this is a bit of a spoiler, but. Over enough time, Amy gets into a position of power, I guess. She becomes manager to the store, and she quickly, not quickly, but she starts going against her ideals in order, it presents her with a difficult position where she has to maybe go up against the union that she's been trying to start with Jonah and that they've been trying to rally the other employees around to start this union and obviously cloud nine keeps pushing back because um unions are bad for for corporate uh and so when she becomes a part of that um things get a bit complicated uh, and and i didn't anticipate that either you know because usually shows like this it's like an either or situation and typically with the show anytime something they start trying to to advocate for something better for themselves um there aren't many happy endings uh, throughout the the whole series. No, it, it really, and, and that's frequently surprising. You know, they they make a few runs at unionizing, and you know they have varying degrees of success. But that that success is pretty like 
you start to measure that success differently each time because they they never they are never exactly successful. They they gain you know it's it's really uh, um, kind of a, a give and take, a bit of a tug of war. But um, yeah, there's never that big triumphant moment where they get good benefits and a 401k and maternity leave or, or all these other things that, um, you know, I mean, especially <laughs> when we come to the, the final season, which was shot as the pandemic was happening, the show dealt with that. And, you know, we were, we spent a lot of time in 2020 talking about how heroic the essential workers at Target and, and these places are. And, you know, I'm certainly appreciative that there was somebody there keeping the lights on and keeping food stocked on the shelves for me, but beyond giving them my business, you know, I can't help them out in the way that a corporate could. And were those people properly compensated or rewarded for their efforts, you know, and inadvertently this show ended up being (laughs) a, a, a great sort of stage for conversation to happen to sort of like, yeah, you know, you, you, you're right. You're right to think that these people are going above and beyond for their, for their jobs and for, for all of us who benefit from them going to work during the pandemic. But you know, what's actually happening? We had this conversation maybe off mic or, or maybe on the podcast about how we didn't want to see any pandemic related art or shows, TV, movie, whatever. Um, that that's the last thing we want to see now that we're experiencing this. Um, and the show premiered its final season, you know, in the thick of things. And I was really surprised with how it handled it because this felt natural to what we were experiencing and it wasn't too much uh, and it wasn't crass about it. And like you said, it was about these characters and how important they were to maintain the status quo during a difficult time, yet they were never compensated. And by the end of the final season, you know, they actually are, they're actively being taken advantage of by corporate. Um, And we'll get into it a bit later, um, but even in the finale, like, it's sort of (laughs) half-hearted, their their triumphs. You know, it comes at great loss, I think. Uh, And that's, that's the entirety of the show, too. And, and like, I think the way we're talking about it almost makes it seem a little heavy, but it's never heavy. Uh, it's always funny and, and light on its feet and, and pretty ridiculous at times. Yeah. Maybe never as ridiculous as something like The Office got, but it, it's never, you never feel the weight of these things, but they're always there in the backbone. And I think that's why it works so well because, um, again, it's not, it's not heavy handed. Yeah, I mean there there's one there's one defeat that is pretty tough to watch. Uh well there is a character Mateo who I mentioned uh is undocumented um and uh eventually that all kind of blows up in their faces um in an effort to sort of squash uh the the union rumors corporate signs off on uh on an ice raid for a chunk of it, they do kind of play it kind of uh, comedy adjacent in as much as they can, given the subject matter. And and all of the characters sort of have their moments to let, you know, that 
that thing about them shine, but like it's an impossible situation. And there's when it comes down to it, when he is uh, apprehended and taken out of the store, it's really unsettling. And you know, because you when you hear stories about deportations, it's tricky because for a long time, you know, language around people who were undocumented was explicitly designed to emphasize an otherness or like, oh, they're not, you know, they're illegal aliens. Like, those are two scary words. Let's talk about people like that and it dehumanizes it. But, you know, you have to consider that they're people and they have families and they have lives and they have friends and they have jobs. And so you spend three or however many seasons with a, this character and you get to know them and you you see this awful thing happen and it, it, when it happens, they kind of stop being a sitcom about it and it gets very heavy, but it, it doesn't feel ex- so heavy handed, you know, like it doesn't feel inappropriate or exploitative. It feels like a lot of the, their defeats. It feels genuine. You know, I think if they had like put like an animal mask on him and, and put him on a shelf, like he was ET hiding with the, the dolls and got away <laughs> with it. Like that would have felt cheap and it would have felt disingenuous to the, um, you know, the, the people who the show was trying to represent with this character. That That's the season four finale. And it is. Uh, it almost feels like a horror movie at that point. And it was startling the first time I watched it because didn't, I didn't think the show was capable of, of doing that or that specific feeling because like the air drops out of the room and you're just like, oh, they're really doing this. They're really going there. And the outcome of it isn't necessarily great like he there's there's they're half measures and there's this looming threat over Mateo for for the rest of the series from that point on um and it's something that never really quite gets resolved and that's not a bad thing I think that's the strength of the show to to show through this silly workplace comedy that you know there are these that people have to continue living their lives Mateo is played by uh, Nico Santos. Uh, I'm not familiar with him beyond this show. I think he's popped up in a bunch of small roles here and there. Uh, But he's he's pretty terrific. And Mateo himself is, he's a gay man and he is a go-getter, but always kind of positions himself above everybody else. Um, Almost to the point where... It's like a big performance, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's interesting. He's, you know, using o- The Office as a framework. It kind of feels like they they kind of broke out Dwight into a couple of different characters. So, like, Mateo is sort of uh, brown-nosing and, and sort of eagerness to please and show off that he's the best at his job and, and deserves more responsibility is very dwight but there's also a lot of Dwight in uh, Dina, who's the assistant manager, and who's like really this like kind of no bullshit by the book, really buttoned up. She's she's very much like Dwight in the beginning, and I think she's the character that they maybe had the hardest time to get um, a grasp of, or at least like define her on her own outside of these characters we've seen in other sitcoms. But once they do really nail the tone for her, um, I think she ends up being a, a terrific character. I think early in the early goings, she's 
maybe a little too antagonistic. Um, yeah. She follows everything by the book, and sometimes that's to the detriment of the other characters. I mean, there's a there's a stretch where she kind of does a full heel turn. I think it's after the first attempt to unionize, and she kind of sides with corporate about it. Yeah, she turns everyone in and and uh, sides with, with corporate. And, and I think that was sort of the first point where I really started enjoying the character because they kind of they kind of tried to play it both ways for a little bit and then once they leaned into it they had to kind of pick a side and she eventually pulls back on that and she has her convictions you know she is committed to the rules but she does whether or not she would ever admit it like she does have a a, a soft spot for these co-workers and, and it starts to slowly kind of come out and in certain points. And uh, so by the time we get to something like the ice raid, where she's like frantically up in the security room, trying to like watch everything so she can safely get him out of the store. And then she doesn't. I mean, that's kind of like a moment where she, her heel moments, I don't think extend at any point beyond that. She sort of, no, uh, it humanizes her. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because there's a moment uh, in the, the season after that the ice raid where she really blames herself for for what happened to mateo uh, it, it, that's the moment really where things kind of start to turn her more in the favor of of her co-workers because i think in the past she just sees everyone as being disposable yes to the point where like hey you're not doing your job and i know exactly the rules like in the pilot she in the pilot she calls in like I don't know if to the police or corp- corporate or something like that saying that there's a problem and she lists the number of the problem. Like, we don't know what that is. And she's like, I told you what it was last week. You know, like yeah. she made up her own sort of um, rules for, for things that are going wrong in, in, mm-hmm. in the store. She also refers, like when she talks to Amy, she doesn't say, you're my best friend. She tells Amy that, oh, I'm your best friend. Like, you know, Amy, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's from the other perspective. She'll never admit that she's lonely. Yeah. Um, but uh, she's definitely lonely. And, and there are moments where Amy realized like, oh, like this is my friend. Uh, and it's hard earned, but they get there. And it's mm-hmm. really, it's pretty charming when it happens. As the series progresses, Dina sort of has this on again, off again, I guess, you know, like friends with benefits. Yeah. Uh, with this character named Garrett. And Garrett, um, who is disabled, he's in a wheelchair. Um, it's kind of the, I guess he's almost like, you say he's like Jim in a way, although he probably is more apathetic than Jim was uh, in the office, right? He's too cool He's too cool for school. Like, he's always like, why do you people care so much? Uh, that's his, like, his de facto mode. Yeah, you know, it's, I mean, you can kind of find an analog in other shows, and he, he I mean, there's a kind of, like, his outlook and his temperament is different, but like it's you know he kind of has he kind of feels like the Tom Haverford role, like from Parks and Rec, who's like he's yeah less he's got, ostentatious yeah 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 he, if you know if if uh, Tom Haverford were just about like eating takis and getting high and playing Call of Duty all weekend, but like it always feels like he's like everything at the store is below him. He's like he's sarcastic to the point of it obviously being a defense and. You know, he's got his his circle of friends outside of work that he wants, he needs to keep separate. Yeah, and he's reluctant to really say that Jonah is his his friend. 
And that kind of puts Jonah off. He's just like, we're buddies. And Jonah roommates with him for a while and is always kind of befuddled with how Garrett has kind of separated uh, his work life with his his social life. They don't really ever make a big deal about his disability. He's just um, a character in a wheelchair. Except for when someone else makes a big deal out about it and he kind of calls them out on it. Similar to what we were talking about with Jonah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's there's that whole episode where Jonah is like trying to figure out why he's in a wheelchair and he kind of has this great moment at the end where he's like, you know, I'm not going to tell you because once, once, once I've defined it, once you know that story, like that's going to define me. And like, I don't, I don't want that. I'm just like, you know, me as Garrett and that's how, you know, I don't, I don't want you to view me as Garrett with, you know, all this other baggage or whatever that comes with it. Just accept me on the terms that I'm presenting myself. Uh, and there's a great episode in the final season where amidst the social unrest in the country and the protests over George Floyd uh, and Breonna Taylor, there's a moment where a black woman tries to get some hair product and they realize it's locked up because corporate has this rule that they obviously there's a stereotype that they believe that black people steal more. So it becomes this issue and Garrett kind of brings attention to it and tries to call it out. So then everyone else wants to sort of give reparations for Garrett. Um, and they start throwing them like, okay, all the people of all minorities in the store, we're going to throw you a party. And it becomes this big mess because they don't know how to talk about it. And I thought it was just, a beautiful way to show how people don't know how to communicate about these very difficult issues. Um, and the show is very sly and funny with, with, with dealing with it. And Garrett is obviously put off by it. Um, and it, it all comes down to like a pizza party. <laughs> yeah. It's really funny. Well, I mean, it's a frequent theme throughout the show, like with the exception of Jonah, who really like, again, means well, but wants you to know that he's that guy. None of these other characters are like, Garrett doesn't want to be the disabled guy. He doesn't want to be the black guy. Amy doesn't want to be the Latina. You know, they just, they're like, we're just here to do our fucking jobs. Don't, you know, don't put the weight of, (laughs) you know, social injustice on my shoulders. I'm not going to solve it for for you. Like, I just work here. Uh, And you mentioned... Up at top, Mark McKinney, and he is the manager of the store. And it's a very bold performance because he he performs it with kicking his voice up like an octave or so. And it's very high pitched and it, it must not be easy to do or to maintain like that. And he is like a Bible belt mega church kind of going. Yeah, guy. sort of goody two shoes in a way, but like I think most of the time. He is almost like Michael Scott in that he he wants everyone to like him. But I think he's a lot more naive and never as cynical as Michael Scott is. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest distinction. Like there is a sweetness to him that um, I think Michael Scott was capable of. But I think that's the core of Glenn. He's always trying to do well or, or he's always trying to, to help people uh, before getting their attention. I think Michael Scott was maybe transparently more concerned with him himself, at least in the, the, the early goings of the office. Yeah. Michael was less concerned with actually being 
nice to people than he was with how will the not even how this will benefit me, but like even just his his desperation for friendship was the driving force but behind him being decent to his employees. Yeah, Glenn is just uh yeah, he's just a an ah shucks very uh conservative but again like without his 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 conservative religious beliefs often butt up against you know Mateo's homosexuality a lot of a lot of issues around race and social injustice and again you know it sort of it sort of sets the stage for the episode's conflict but ultimately what always wins out is that Glenn is a good person you know i think over the course of the show like like a lot of the characters, the way he grows is that he, you know, he sees how uh, individuals are affected by things beyond their control and whatever sort of preconceptions he had about groups of people because of his, um, you know, his 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 worldview. Um, without, without without ever being like express it like oh i i learned to be empathetic to gay people this episode you know he just like he gradually learns and becomes more accepting and less he's never nasty about it but he's very uncomfortable and squeamish um and he he kind of he doesn't really loosen up but he just like he he sees how different people all fit into the same world and like and just becomes okay with it yeah it's never after school special it's never this is the lesson Glenn learned. And I think in the end, he's probably fundamentally the same person with possibly a lot of the same beliefs, but these people are his family and, and, and he loves them. Um, cause it, it, he's pretty naive too. I think mm-hmm. that's part of it. Like the, the wool gets pulled over his eyes, um, quite frequently, but he's also, he likes to be a part of, of whatever ev- everyone else is doing. Like in the first episode, Jonah is doing like this. He's in the. They're like jousting in the parking lot. In in in. Uh, no, he's. They're in the carriages in a parking lot, and he's using like, um, like paddles in order to push the 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 shopping cart. And Amy comes out to reprimand him. Like this is your first day at work. And then Glenn comes come by comes by, and he's in one uh, shopping cart as well, and doing the same exact thing. And and in the finale, he's. He talks about how he filmed them all for their interviews, which was probably illegal. But he said, well, you never know, because like there could be a lot of false sexual assault allegations like my pastor who had 30 allegations against him, but he's innocent. Um, And that's kind of like a lot of the gags built around him is him talking about how awful his church is without really knowing that his his church is really awful. And one re- recurring gag with him is is that he loves juice. He, like, he drinks a lot of juice. It's really weird. Doesn't he get diagnosed with diabetes at some point? Yeah, and he has to quit. He like drinks like a gallon of juice a day or something like that. Yeah. Um, and his wife Jerusha, which is played by um, uh, Carrie Kenny from uh, the state. Yes, um, she's 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 pretty great, and she also has that aw shucks like Midwest. Uh, affability and she's really funny foil for him and i read that a lot of stuff that he does is improvised like and some subplot some of the plots are improvised as well like there's a character we haven't mentioned um that's sandra who is maybe one of the the funniest characters and she was like 
that that's another strength of the show before we get to Sandra is that because it is uh, a this work environment that has a lot of turnover they're constantly getting new cast members uh, sometimes they're just background players and you'll see them reoccur in the background even if they really have no lines and there are some characters like Brett who's been there since <laughs> like the first or second episode who's never said a word like yeah. he's just always there and there are plots that revolve around Brett but he just never says anything but Sandra kind of came and um, she wasn't in there in the beginning and uh, she just kind of she stole the show after a while she's um, she's hard to describe she's really confident but really I guess she's also kind of naive like Glenn but there are moments where she's she's like confident what she, at what she's doing but then you find out that like oh like I take the bus every morning to get here mm-hmm. um, and, and uh, oh I, f- I forgot what that specific gag with the bus was, though. Oh, it was just like a, it's just a shitload of stops, right? It's like a really, it's incredibly inconvenient for her to get to work. Yeah. Th- yeah. Th- I think that's what it was. And they, 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 they kind of make a, a recurring bit about that. But there's a moment where she gets proposed to. And I read that that was actually improvised, that moment. Oh. Um, which is really funny because they had sort of planned for it. But it just didn't come to pass in the plot. So when she saw this character, he improvised it. And they're like, all right, cool. That, we're doing that. So they kind of kept they kept that in. Yeah. Sandra's one of those characters who's sort of presented at first as just kind of a, just kind of bland. Like, and I mean, her blandness really knows no bounds. Because like when she, she does get into this romantic relationship with, um, is it Jerry? Jerry, yeah. You know, someone's like, well, what do you two like about each other? Sandra, what do you like about Jerry? And she's like, Jerry's nice. And they're like, all right, Jerry, what do you think? He's like, yeah, Sandra's nice. And like, <laughs> like they really like, they really love each other. But for everybody looking in, they're like, like, you know, they don't talk to one another. They have these really weird, like non-intimate intimacies but then she'll kind of like flip a switch where um, it it does turn out that like her and Jerry have like a very passionate physical relationship. Uh, and there's this love triangle that plays out over seasons with uh, Sandra and Carol. And Carol is just completely fucking out of her mind. Yeah. <laughs> and she's manipulative and, and, and a bit, uh, I guess, kind of evil. She's always playing people against each other and being really mean to Sandra. Uh, it, including trying to sabotage their wedding. Yeah, but they are both superficially just these kind of like, you know, bland, whatever, middle-aged cat ladies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, at the opposite end of the spectrum of that, though, is I think the only other lead we haven't talked about is uh, Cheyenne, played by Nicole yeah. Sakura, who is just like, she's introduced in the first season as, um, you know, a teen mom or a... a not a mom yet. She's pregnant. She's 16 or 17. <laughs> her, her, her just disgusting boyfriend, uh, Bilbo, Bo, Derek. <laughs> it's just like, the Bo, most, Bo is my favorite. He's so obnoxious, but he's so charming. Anytime he shows up, I'm just like, I need more Bo. Yeah. And he's like that kind of douchey white dude. That's got like the wispy, 
mustache, uh, kind of scrawny. You could tell he wants, like he's talked about, he wants to be a rapper, mm-hmm. but he's also considers himself an entrepreneur, but it's usually like, uh, he's usually getting into a lot of trouble. Like in the, I think in the finale, he's buying up like all the, the, the washing machines. Cause he's just like, cause I could sell them back to people at, 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 at higher costs. And if that doesn't work, I'll just open my own dry cleaning. Or I'll open my own washing. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, laundromat. Laundromat. Uh, so he, he's so ridiculous. But of course, his his big thing is he's always going. <laughs> yeah, or his 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 uh, you know, he wants to rap about big important issues, but he just like says the issue like. He doesn't rap about racial injustice. He just raps the words racial injustice. Like that, that's his, that's about as deep as he gets. Um, but man, like I think, yeah, Cheyenne's one of my favorite characters too, just because she's so Yeah, like, me too. Her, her and Mateo have this really great kind of catty relationship. You know, she, she never really, <laughs> she, 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 she takes care of, her 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 child <laughs> harmonica <laughs> like she she provides and she's a good mom but like you know there's still those moments where like her and her and Bo have not given up on the fact that they're teenagers there's the episode where i think she's turning 21 and mateo really wants to throw her like a fancy um 21st birthday party and she's like she's like no me and Bo just want to get fucked up <laughs> <laughs> like that's all we want to do we just want to get fucked up that's all like we don't need anything fancy she's just got some great lines that are again like connected to her being a a reckless teenager slash young adult and it's just it's always funny the way she just casually drops in these experiences that are terrifying to all the other adults in the room she at once feels like a very unique sitcom character but also feels like someone you've probably met. Like, oh, that type of person. Uh, as soon as you hear her and see her, there are, Meg has a number of students that are, are, are similar to Cheyenne, you know, where they're not bad kids whatsoever. And they know so much about social media and, and they're part of that generation that's obsessed with Instagram and TikTok and, and, and all those type of things. And like, hey, like... I could be an influencer, that type of thing, but she's just a little more superficial. And it, like you said, uh, is interested in just having fun. Yeah. She's, she, she kind of, uh, she starts to feel like the Phoebe of the show after a while. Yeah. She's eccentric. She's definitely, she's definitely kind of out there. Uh, I found some of, <laughs> some of the great things she said. So, uh, my great grandmother died of old age. Her mom too. Bad genes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um i catfished my school nurse and she ended up moving to australia to meet a picture of michael fassbender when he was younger <laughs> um i don't know about you guys but COVID has been super annoying for me <laughs> uh, i'm okay i think i hit something with my car but i was too tired to check <laughs> oh she's so uh yeah cheyenne's probably my favorite so at one point, Jonah and Amy get caught on video having sex while she is very much pregnant with her um, ex-husband's baby. 
Cheyenne S. <laughs> Cheyenne S. It sounds way worse than it actually is. <laughs> uh, Cheyenne asks, Jonah, was it weird being one of two people inside of Amy? <laughs> and uh, she she wants Burns Mateo with, at least I don't look like someone put a Pixar character into a microwave. <laughs> yeah, she's so much fun. Um, well, I guess since we brought up them having sex uh, the 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 other uh, big recurring lead character is the photo room, <laughs> which is where everybody goes to bang. It's like the official the bang room of the store. Uh, a lot of action in the photo room, um, which you know makes sense. The uh, early twenty twenties, late twenty teens, no one's looking in the photo room. A lot of episodes start with them having uh, before work group meetings. All right, this is the on the agenda for the day. Uh, and that kind of sets up the premise for a lot of episodes. And then there'll be like A and B plots, usually with uh, different characters and whatnot. There's a lot of scenes that take place in the break room as well. Um, so uh, I read about the set where it, they made it look bigger than it actually is by using mirrors. So they built, because they're not actually filming in, a, in any kind of superstore, they built a set and the, uh, it's not nearly as big as you think it is, which I thought was pretty impressive because it looks like a Walmart. It looks it looks just like one. Yeah, and there's, there's a scene in one episode where there's one character who claims, there's a character who um, works for corporate who Mateo becomes involved with romantically. He's like the... Jeff? The district, yes, the district manager, Jeff. And through a pathetic series of circumstances loses his job and then claims that he's doing that he's working for targets he'll just show up at cloud nine and like a red polo and be really pompous about it and then they go to target to see what life's like on the other side and you can it's suddenly like the filming looks different you're like oh okay so they're in a they're in a real store right now (laughs) it's very apparent um yeah the the break room scenes the sort of um you know, pre-shift huddle. Yeah, those are all great. And great, um, endlessly recyclable cold open. Like, there's always going to be some new memo from corporate about some dumb thing. One of the warehouse guys is always going to mention how it's about time that men have their opinions heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, what's his name, Pops? Steve Agi, uh, Agi, right? The comedian. Yep. Mm-hmm. He, he ends up. He becomes a recurring uh, actor for a while. And John Barinholtz, Ike Barinholtz's brother, um, who, who people might know from the Mindy Project, but he was also in the first Suicide Squad. I think he. I don't know if he's in the second one, but whatever. He's pretty funny. He's an idiot. His character is just primarily a, an idiot and a bit of an asshole. Um, but he 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 also he desperately wants to be liked by everybody, especially Jonah. Yeah, there is a sweetness to him that like. Again, all of these characters have, you know, biases for their coworkers based on, I mean, you name it. Um, and then, <laughs> you know, what I, I think what this show does without explicitly saying it is like, you know, we all can get along and live together. The problem is a lot of times we're not having these conversations just outright or we're sort of allowing ourselves to, um, you know, to 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 state trapped in our our bubbles whether it's the warehouse guys being <laughs> these men's right douches 
except for you know the ones who have names and are higher up in the call sheet they eventually will learn a lesson but it never but it never veers so far into like both sides territory the show never says like oh both you know, there's a there's a there, there's a valid perspective on all sides of any conversation it never it's never naive enough to get to that point you know but i think it does make a case for a basic universal humanity that maybe uh you know, maybe some political tribalism gets in the way of seeing. I mean, who knows? <laughs> Things have taken uh, quite a turn since the show wrapped, so who knows how that would have panned out. <laughs> uh, we've we've mentioned all these characters, and but the show is stacked. There's so many, so many characters, um, and you know, obviously, not a lot of them have a a plots most of the mm-hmm. time. Like we said, there's a lot of people in the background, um, but. There's also uh, Saeed who gets introduced later on. Who's who's a pretty, pretty funny character. Justine, who is a bit of a a, a sex fiend, uh, maybe a little over overly confident in herself, or like, uh, but it's maybe or just wants people a to little think pathetic. she is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like at one point, well, at one point, Justine like makes some comment about drinking too much, and <laughs> Dina says, "You're not an alcoholic. Stop trying to sound interesting." <laughs> Yeah, that's her in a nutshell. Yeah. Uh, there's Elias, who we learned some pretty dark shit about uh, in the finale. Um, Myrtle. mentioned Carol. Uh, Myrtle, who's like, oh my God, one of the best. Uh, Myrtle, she was 86 years old um, and uh, she passed away while they were filming. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's she's that type of character that she's that you'd see someone that's, you know, needs to work and in, mm-hmm. uh, in, in these type of stores and that's who who exactly that's exactly who she she plays and but she gets a lot of great lines yeah um, there's also the robot that uh like one of those kind of automated robots that becomes a kind of like a, a background gag after a while we haven't even mentioned the the interstitials that kind of connect the stories where it'll just show a random shot within the superstore within cloud nine. And it's just random shit, like a little girl going to the bathroom in a potty in the middle of an aisle. And then it'll cut to the next plot or people battling with their, uh, their shopping carts. And there's so many, each episode has a bunch of them. And they're some of the best gags in the whole series. They're random and weird people like eating like Vaseline and, it's it's so funny. Yeah, I think especially if you've worked retail or food service, you just like you just you just kind of see those little bumps and just a chill goes up your spine. Um, so you mentioned the little kid going to the bathroom. Was that in the pilot? Because the last episode has an older child. Yeah, doing that. Mm-hmm. Like it's the same, I, it's I, I wonder if it was one. the same kid. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. Figured. That that's a. Yeah, they. I watched both of them again before uh, the pilot and the finale before we re- recorded, and uh, it's amazing how many callbacks there are between the two. I think the only other character worth mentioning is Kelly, who is very briefly a regular, but she becomes um, her and Jonah have a relationship for a little while, which is ultimately doomed because Jonah and Amy love each other. But um, she's another one who they kind of introduce as like this grating bubbly. She's a little like too perky, but 
she's a genuinely nice person. And I, I remember feeling very conflicted when, you know, her and Jonah break up because usually like the sitcom playbook is you've got the will they won't they couple one or both of them end up in a relationship that is uh, transparently not a good fit. But Jonah and Kelly were very sweet together, you know, and I, I think the show does that honesty really well. I think the show always wants to do right by its characters, even if Kelly is there just to be the sort of third point in the love triangle for a season and a half. You know, she's a Kelly's a person and deserves better than just being a, a plot mechanic. I had mentioned at the end of last episode when we were talking about that we were going to cover Superstore that I felt that this was probably, even though it gets the obvious comparisons to shows like Parks and Rec and The Office, um, but I feel like this show is probably the better show than those two shows. Now, maybe better is the wrong word for it. I definitely think it's a more consistent show than those two shows. Office to me kind of, um, well, could still definitely be funny in the last four or five seasons. Um, was never consistent, especially with regards to its characters uh, and where they went or, or the relationships that they were in. Um, and for me, Parks and Rec was also not as good in the last few seasons. Um, I thought this show was really consistent front to back. Um, and it seemed like they weren't entirely sure what they were going to do in season five. Um, and America Ferrera leaves the show uh, at the end of season five. Uh, and because of COVID, they had to kind of scramble what they originally planned to do with her. Originally, the season five was supposed to be a two-part finale, and then they only aired the first one because they hadn't finished the second one because of what was going on. And then they pushed that to season six. And I think because of the pandemic and the way um, the show digs into that, um, it really rebounded in the sixth season. And um, I thought this finale worked pretty well. I was I was pleasantly surprised by it. I think you can definitely feel there are some aspects to um, Amy and Jonah's storyline that is a bit rushed. Uh, at least that way, it felt that way to me. Um, but I was still mostly satisfied with, with how they finished things. Did you like how they ended it? Yeah, I did. I think what was frustrating for me was just the... Um Man, yeah, when when America Ferrera leaves, there's a considerable hole in the show. And, you know, reading up about it, um, you know, she wanted to do other things. Obviously, the pandemic. Um, it sounds like her and Ben Feldman had were allowed to kind of contribute to how they would resolve their relationship. Uh, I understand the choices that were made given the circumstances and all this, but uh, it, it did strike me as kind of odd and a bit of a bummer, even though she goes on to ostensibly bigger and better things and then comes back for the the finale finale um, to kind of resolve loose plot threads and, you know, get the band back together. Um, yeah, it was, it was kind of uh, frustrating. I, I almost would have wanted to see what her life was like. So, so what happens is she gets a, a really great job in corporate and moves to California, takes her family with her. They break up. Jonah stays behind, you know, and I, and I think they do 
Jonah's reaction to it all pretty well. But I, I do, I just feel like we've spent so much time with, with Amy. I mean, especially, you know, as things go on, it, it, it's an ensemble show, but like her, her and Jonah are the two sort of anchor characters. And it just, it felt very lopsided. But that said, I, you know, I think they, I think the, all things considered that last season is, is still really good. Um, and we mentioned how they, they handle the pandemic stuff surprisingly gracefully, but it did feel a little, uh, <laughs> it almost felt a little like, you know, Poochie died on the way back to his home planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's definitely in the last two episodes in particular, and I believe that they had planned for, for more episodes in that final season. I think there are, there's 15 and I think they had planned for a few more and then NBC said, nope, it's you you got to wrap it up. So I think they were also kind of surprised with how quickly they had to wrap things up. And you feel it when you're watching it. They're like, oh, okay, we're wrapping things up now. Uh, without spoiling too, too much, it's a bit of a happy ending, but there is like this underlying, like things are changing and these, in the store itself doesn't care about these people whatsoever or corporate doesn't care about people whatsoever. Mm -hmm. That's sort of like the underlying thing of the finale. Um, Cause I've seen some people say like, Oh, it's a bit too sweet too saccharine. Um, but there's that underlying thing that's just there. That's the catalyst for the events of the finale um, that I think are hard to ignore. There's a big moment that could have been played really schmaltzy, but it's, it's clearly just a moment of a character who's well Garrett is sort of like doing his last Garrett's thing is the announcements you know when there's a sale or whatever he'll he'll get on a loudspeaker and, and then just make some sarcastic glib joke but he does the final announcement as the store is closing for the last time and it's just really it cuts like almost like a like a fantasy of them all like continuing their lives together, having a cookout and, and still being a part of each other's lives. And it, it feels really bittersweet because, you know, it's kind of like the last day of camp or the last day of school. And you make all these promises, but life is going to get in the way. And maybe half of them will show up for that cookout. Maybe not even half. Um, but, you know, I think, I think there is that in the face of, you know, being clearly discarded, in no uncertain terms told that they're expendable by this big corporation. You know, they have like, well, at least we can hope that like this thing that we've, this part of this giant conglomerate that we've made our own, we can carry forward, but who knows? I mean, <laughs> bam, bam, bam. yeah. Uh, it's a nice bittersweet kind of ending. And, um, and I think you could look at it and be like, Oh, everyone got what they wanted or you could kind of look at it for, for what it is and, and, and realize that they're probably just going to continue to face hardships and, and hopefully have each other, but you never know. I hope more people discover the show and cause I think it's, it's pretty great. Um, and I'm surprised it doesn't have a bigger following. Uh, maybe it just, it could be because not a lot of people are watching television on uh, like week to week anymore and maybe people will discover it um i mean it's been up on hulu the whole thing's on hulu mm -hmm. that's how i watched it yeah i don't know how hulu is compared to netflix i know a lot of shows blow up once they get on netflix like community last year had like this 
small resurgence because it popped up on Netflix and all of a sudden everyone was watching it in the middle of the pandemic and everyone was talking about it. It's unfortunate that everything has to come down to Netflix. Uh, there are, you know, lots of other things out there. It, you know, I, are there superstore memes? Yeah, there are. There are, you know. I just, you don't hear people talk about it or quoting it or sharing memes the way they do The Office or Parks and Rec or even 30 Rock. I mean, there are snippets of those three shows that are just sort of like, uh, you know, conversational shorthand on the internet. You know, Le- Lemon, it's only Wednesday. <laughs> Galentine's Day. Um, you miss 100% of the shots. You don't take Wayne Gretzky attributed to Michael Scott. And it's, you know, I think... The office is clearly the the, the big one. Right. I mean, it seems unfair, but it almost seems like... Um, yeah, there's there was something about this show that just wasn't as buzzy as those other ones and didn't kind of get its didn't quite get its hooks into our collective uh, psyches. Like, you know, like it, it not, like I said, not, I, I, I can't think of a single superstore meme I've come across, which seems like a really shitty bar to be comparing <laughs> the success of a TV show to, especially one this good and this consistent. So, well, you know, the ratings for the first season weren't particularly good, but the ratings for the first season or, or or the reviews for the first season of the office and parks and rec weren't good either like those shows took a, took a season to figure out what they were um the first season of the office was trying maybe a, a bit too much to be like its british counterpart uh and and parks and rec was maybe a bit too much like the office in, in its first season so I don't know why everyone gave those shows the benefit of the doubt and stuck around for them. Maybe it because everyone was watching those that must see Thursday night. So like, oh, I'm well, I'm watching Community and I'm watching The Office. I might as well stick around for Parks and Rec while it figures itself out. And maybe it didn't have that luxury for people to stick around to find out. And I, I don't know if people do that anymore. You still hear people say like, oh, it gets good in season, whatever, you know, uh, even with streaming shows. I mean, look at, I mean, so looking... I'm back to the the must-see TV lineup. So, I mean, it was up against... Um, it was the lead-in to The Good Place uh, for three seasons. So, you know, that was a big show. Um, you know, AP Bio, again, had a couple of... Um, had a couple of leads that were kind of like have you know in their in their moment you know like the you know glenn howard and, and Patton oswald sort of had that cultural cachet to be like oh i'm gonna tune into that but ap bio again brooklyn 99 so that was the, the triumphant sort of carryover from being canceled yeah i don't know i don't know what it is i mean it's really it's too bad but again it's it's not going anywhere it's still around and it is this really interesting snapshot of uh yeah workaday life in a way that you know yeah parks and rec is an office place comedy but i never really you can kind of get the personalities be like oh i had a boss like leslie or i had a um you know i had a, a co-worker like like andy or tom or audrey plaza whose character's name i'm drawing a blank on something snake hole no, that's her <laughs> <alias>. <laughs> but no snake hole was the bar Right? No, it her, her wasn't her last. Like, didn't she have an alias, Janet Snakehole or something? Oh, was it? Because the Snakehole Lounge was also the 
like the gross bar that Tom anyway, but like, you know, there's nothing about parks and rec that I don't think there's anything that really says much about the time it was made only in the sense that I think it's politics are rooted in much more rooted in Obama era politics. And it's similar to similar to Hamilton in that way where it's this idealistic look at like, Hey man, the way government is run can be great, you know? Uh, And unfortunately I think a lot of that uh, in hindsight feels a bit shallow just like Hamilton kind of feels a bit shallow um, to me. And I think this show is much smarter with with the way it deals with um, politics and and social issues. And I think this show's diversity is, is, or the way the most of these shows should approach casting going forward, because it doesn't feel uh, perfunctory, but it also doesn't feel like, mandated by any kind of studio necessity it feels so natural um and it's a very very diverse cast um whereas the office and parks and rec maybe had that in the margins and they were working their way to get to what this show um was able to do and and i don't want to shit talk those shows like i I like both of those shows quite a bit and maybe even the highs of both show are are better than the highs of this show Uh, i just think the show is really really consistent once it figures out what it's doing um, and, and again, like we're, we're just talking about it cause we're hopeful more people will discover it. I think, I think Superstore's ambitions were about on par with its characters, collective ambitions. It, it never really swung for the fences in kind of like big over the top ways, you know, like there's no big carnival to plan or. You know, even the even the romantic relationships felt very normal and and sort of subdued for TV because of how kind of natural they played it. I just do want to go back to one point you made and underline it so our listeners know. Matt is saying definitively that Ron Swanson would have stormed the Capitol. Um, I just <laughs> <laughs> now he could he couldn't be he couldn't be bothered right. <laughs> I guess he'd have to di- he'd have to go dig up some gold to get a bus ticket or something. Yeah, he'd be like, "Oh, that's too far away." No, he was just anti-government, so storming the government would be like, "Yeah, not worth it," right? Mm. I I think I think. Uh, what about I, I th- Dwight? Do you think Dwight would have stormed the Capitol? I don't. I don't think Dwight had opinions about politics. Yeah, I don't remember. It's been a while. What about Creed? Definitely Creed. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> a creed is probably so, Q, you know. Totally himself, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There you Ugh. go. Anyway, so do you have any recommendations for anybody besides Superstore? Telling people we're telling people to watch Superstore. Beyond that, do you have any other recommendations? Uh, yes, I think if you are, I think if you're in your early thirties or younger. It would behoove you to go track down Kids in the Hall and see what Mark McKinney was doing uh, when he was a young punk sketch comedy firebrand. Yeah, the Kids in the Hall are are wonderful. Um, They did finally, after about a year of announcing it, start production on a new sketch show for Amazon. So I, I am hoping that that means that their original sketch show 
and hopefully their movie will make their way to Amazon Prime. So the yeah. movie is called Brain, Brain Candy, Candy, which is mm-hmm. just bizarre and so lovely weird. and weird. Yeah. But yeah, and you know, especially if you're a, a, a comedy nerd um, and haven't spent any time with Kids in the Hall, it's really, um, it's really great, fun stuff, and just super strange and and really uh, not like um, not like a lot else as far as sketch goes. So no, good stuff. It was formative for me. It was a very um, foundational show in my youth. Yeah, I happened upon it because it used to run on Comedy Central after school, and just by accident I'm like who are these weird guys what's why is he who's the guy in the bushes crushing people's heads or um there's one sketch that forever like wired my brain to assume that anyone who who deliberately seeks out a greatest hits album is a garbage person <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's so many great bits like the bit about uh, these are the daves i know and the bass player bit the bass player goes back to the hotel, hangs out by himself. Or uh, Girl Drink Drunk, where one of them is like a, a businessman who's also like a secret alcoholic, but he's not sneaking off with a flask. He's got like, he's pulling blenders and coconuts and like daiquiri <laughs> mix out of his jacket. Yeah. Yeah. Or uh, Dave Foley's recurring character where he's a serial killer and murdering people in the <laughs> suburbs and there's a guy that's going door to door with like a like a sharpener for for axes like a stone like an old-fashioned <laughs> one and dave was like oh can you help and, and remember don't tell anybody or chop chop <laughs> so pleasant about it <laughs> oh so canadian <laughs> yeah it's great what about you i'm going to recommend a show that just premiered on friday just finished it last friday well doesn't matter to our listeners it just premiered I just finished it today. It's also on Hulu. It's created by Patton Oswalt and Jordan Blum, and it is called Modoc. Uh, and I'm recommending it for several reasons. One, it's very funny. Uh, two, it is about this D-list villain from from Marvel Comics named Modoc. He's basically he's basically a giant head that kind of floats around with these tiny arms. Um, the show is stop motion. Uh, it's like a workplace comedy with with um, supervillains, and Modoc is trying to. Uh, he has this company called AIM, and kind of it gets bought out from under him, and he's trying to work his way back up into the good graces of the company and regain control of the company. So it has a lot of that workplace back and forth banter with um, lots of supervillains and henchmen and whatnot. And Modoc also has a family, so there's like. Uh, a relationship dynamic. Uh, it's pretty similar in some ways to Venture Brothers. So uh, that's another favorite of ours here. So I think um, you could connect all those dots together. I, I thought it was pretty charming. It looks terrific. Um, it looks really cool. It's fun and it's pretty light and breezy. And yeah, Modoc. Uh, what are we talking about next time? I think next time we're just going to do kind of, a, kind of a mid-year wrap-up like we do at the end of the year. But uh so we can maybe spend a little more time talking about some of the stuff we've watched or read or listened to for the first time this year. Um, yeah, it'll be fun and loose conversation. Six months, last stuff's yeah. gone down. So yeah, and I've I know I've got a lot of uh, a lot of firsts under my belt. Awesome that I'm excited to talk about. I have one important question that I can't wait to pitch. I'm gonna wait till the episode. So if that sounds exciting, 
if you're listening and that sounds exciting, make sure you tune into our next episode to hear that question. I'm going to ask Tony. Yes, a thousand times yes, Matt. I'm assuming it's a yes or no question. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Well, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a Jeopardy situation, I guess. After the break, we'll, so, <laughs> we'll be presented with the the answer to the question I just answered. No. Wait. What? They give you the answer, and then you have to respond in the form of a question. This, I've never, yeah, I've never seen go. Jeopardy. We're gonna do an episode about Jeopardy. <laughs> okay bye (laughs) bye thanks for listening to another episode of what did we miss you can follow us on twitter and instagram and facebook at what did we miss and you can send us an email at what did we miss pod at gmail.com and thanks as always to the what's your writers club in downtown providence rhode island you can learn more about them at whatcheerclub.org and you can follow them on twitter and instagram at whatcheerclub club.